0: This is the Iowa State Athletics SciCast. Hi,
1: everybody. I'm John Walters. Today's SciCast is with Frank Snyder. Frank had a long and distinguished career as sports director at WOI-TV during the 60s and 70s and also did radio play-by-play for the Cyclones. He's retired now in Salt Lake City, Utah, but his memories of his time at Iowa State are fond and long-lasting. We hope you'll enjoy our visit with Frank Snyder. Well, Frank, I want to start off with uh, you and your wife, Barb, really generously giving back to Iowa State with an annual scholarship for our students at TV. What made you want to do that?
0: Iowa State is a special place in our hearts. And although I never attended Iowa State, my wife Barb got her Ph.D. at Iowa State in 1987, I guess it was. And we left Ames in 1988. And Iowa State's always, always had and always will have a special place in our heart. It's just interesting family members are contributing to it. And we plan to enhance it further down the road, probably when I'm cold as a carp. But uh, really, we always try hard to give back, not just Iowa State, but also to the University of Utah, which has been very good to us. My wife has a great job here. And I, wor- and I worked at Utah in continuing education for 13 years before I abruptly retired at the age of 74. They'd had enough of me. But uh, we just, we're hoping to someday be able to endow a full scholarship.
1: I know our students really, really appreciate it that have been honored in the past with that, and uh, it's special to them when they when they receive that. You were, of course, here in Ames and WI Sports Director in the 60s and 70s, and you were around some, some great people during that time. We were just talking a little bit before we started this interview, and I, I'm guessing that's one of your best memories is just all the people that you met here in Ames and the relationships that you built through that job.
0: That's exactly right. Not just in Ames, but uh, throughout the old Big 8 conference. I still get to see a few of them very solemnly. Uh, my wife's twin sister, Drew Hancock, is associate senior commissioner back of the Big 12. So I still have some connections back there, uh, even though they may be you know, kind of shredded by now. We do have a lot of uh, old, old friends who live there and uh, still keep in touch. But, yeah, we still follow Iowa State. And uh, we're pretty busy during the football and basketball season with ESPN and all the proliferation of uh, telecasts. It uh, keeps us busy trying to watch Utah and going to its games and also uh, following Iowa State games on television. Of course, we also have to watch the University of Kansas where our daughter got her undergrad degree. So as a result, uh, our recorder gets full real fast.
1: Well, that's great. I'm glad you're still so involved with uh, athletics and you know, in the 70s, uh, there wasn't a lot of television, and, and I think one of the great things that we enjoy showing on our TV network is those old 1970s uh, football highlight reels that you did with W.O.I., and you voiced many of those, and, boy, it was, it's some great programming uh, just to see the great players of that era and living color. It, it, it's really neat. Was that one of your favorite projects that you did during your time at WI? It, it was.
0: It was. And I worked uh, some with the uh, film film lab uh, on campus. Uh, they did some of the production work as well. But uh, I sort of got the idea from when I was at Iowa and I was doing similar things on radio and we would do a year in same thing, except it was on audio tape and uh, went back and edited madly for a week to try to get ready for a show for the Saturday following the season. So so that was a real passion of mine and it brings back many, many fond memories of some great teams and some not so great teams. I think the low point probably in my broadcasting career at Iowa State was sitting through a 52 to nothing uh, laugher at Texas Tech one night, uh, which seemed to last forever. And uh, I know the Same defensive end, made the same mistake on three option plays and gave up touchdowns, which was pretty underwhelming. But memories like that are very overshadowed by, well, for instance, the uh, 76 football victory over Nebraska. That was easily the most fun day that I had at Iowa State. (laughs) I remember some of those great players like Luther Blue and Ray Hardy and Wayne Stanley. And I still remember John going into the Nebraska locker room to do an interview with Bob Devaney after the hmm. ball game. And I remember asking him, Do you think your team was guilty of looking ahead? Meaning they were playing Oklahoma the following week, but I didn't mention Oklahoma. And he said, I don't know why we'd be looking ahead because. Tomorrow Sunday. We can all go mow the lawn. And I'm thinking, <laughs> Bob did that. He never mowed his lawn in his life. So it was. It was. Uh, th- those were some of the little memories that come back when I think about it. And I remember after the game. It was uh, two weeks before my, my our wedding, and my my wife to be and I. Went with George and Nan Turner, who was, George was my sidekick for all those many years. And we went to Des Moines for dinner after the ball game. And then about nine, we went up to the Register Sports Department and got the first edition of the Sunday Tribune, or excuse me, the Sunday Register. And it had Cyclones Upset Nebraska, and the headline was in bold red, which was, I'd mm-hmm. never seen that before. I felt like we were just on top of the moon at the moment. That was That was just really a great, great memory. That
1: 1976 team, many would say, was Iowa State's best. Certainly a great offensive team, and unfortunate, wasn't it, Frank, that they didn't get to go to a bowl game, because that was a really, really good team that year.
0: Well, it was, and and, and in a sense, they kind of sealed their own doom, because the following week, after beating Nebraska, they went to Oklahoma State and got beat, which kind of put a bad, sour note on the end of the season. But... You have to remember that, you know, a 7-4 and four season or a 7-3 and three season at that time didn't necessarily get you a bowl game. There weren't 72 bowl games like there are now. There were just a few beyond the so-called CBS championships that we have now. I don't know if it was the greatest team. Earl Bruce once told me that his worst coaching job was in 72 because he didn't realize what great talent he had until they really kind of matured but he had guys like Keith Crepley tied in and he went on with Ike Harris who had a great career with the Cardinals. He felt like he just underestimated their value. And I I know Earl was an interesting man and still remains a friend. Talked to him once in a great while he's getting up there. He, uh, Really changed his coaching style. When he came to Ames, his coaching style was pretty much like Woody Hayes. Because he was a Woody student. I remember so many of the games he'd start off very, very conservatively. And then finally, about very late in the second quarter, he'd kind of take his hand off the throttle and let her grip and found out that maybe, maybe the Cyclones were a little better than he thought they were. So <laughs> I, I remember a game against Iowa. It was like, Nothing, nothing, or seven, nothing in the first quarter. Then Iowa State went on a rampage, won, I think, 31 to seven, something like that. Only because he just, he finally changed his ways a little bit. But he was, uh, he was an interesting guy and, uh, probably, as a matter of fact, our mutual friend Pete Taylor and I would probably have agreed on this, that he was probably the best on field coach in the country at that point in time. He got the most out of what he had. And he became a pretty good recruiter. It, it's interesting to think back that the whole uh, Iowa State football improvement kind of started with Johnny Majors, and he went all over the state, and you know, he would have a meeting with one person. Just to, and those those Cyclone Club gatherings around the state weren't real huge when he first started. Matter of fact, he used to describe it as meeting in a phone booth. But he laid the groundwork for uh, Earl to come in, and by the time Earl left, Iowa State owned. Iowa in terms of the state of Iowa in terms of football recruiting. So those two had a great, great uh, lot to do with the success of Iowa State football.
1: You got the opportunity to work with both those gentlemen. It seems to me like they had very different personalities. I've, I've talked to both of them in, in the recent years, but <laughs> being around them kind of during those magical years at, at Iowa State, and I know when Johnny was hired, he was the youngest head coach in the country and had a very young, energetic staff. They really enjoyed the recruiting part of it. What, what were the differences in the in the personalities between Johnny Majors and Old Bruce?
0: Oh, about like oil and water and night and
1: Um
0: <laughs> uh, Hugely. <laughs> Uh, Johnny, Johnny Majors was a very outgoing. He was a tremendous motivator. I mean, he did not inherit a great team, but he had them believing that they could go out and beat the world. He had a staff that was, they played by night and lived by day. I mean, they they cut some <laughs> wide swaths. Let's trust, just trust me on that one. He had some great guys, though, that went on to some you know really, really good things, like Jackie Sherrill was on that first staff of his who became uh, finally head coach at uh, Texas A&M. Joe Avezano, who at one point was head coach at Oregon State, and I think he was special teams coach for about 40 years for the Dallas Cowboys. Then he had Jimmy Johnson, who enjoyed a fair amount of fame with the national championships and the uh, NFL championships. They are pretty good people, and those were all, they were young. In many cases, it was their first job out of college. I remember being at practice. It must have been about. Uh, I don't know, sixty-eight or nine. And Jimmy Johnson was uh, running special teams, and he was showing them how to form a, uh, put on a punt return. Of course, he was the punt returner, and he tore his Achilles, which was just a brutal injury. And uh, it didn't slow him down work-wise, but it slowed him down a foot for a long time. But those are those are some memories that, that I like to share with folks that I still remember.
1: There were so many great, great players in the 1970s, some of the best that have ever worn in Iowa State uniform. And you mentioned Keith Crefley and Ike Harris.
0: Willie Jones was a great receiver. Luther Blue was a great, great kick returner. I think maybe the best football athlete I saw in my 20 years there was probably George Amundsen. George was, uh, he was kind of somewhere between a quarterback and a running back. He, he was a Pretty big guy, tall, and uh, very athletic. Matter of fact, he at one point I think held the discus record at Iowa State. And I know he—he, he, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong—I think he's the only first-round draft choice in the NFL ever from Iowa State, unless there's been somebody since then. But he no, there was, hasn't uh, been—not
1: since him. You're right. Yeah, you know,
0: he was—he was taken by uh, the, then Houston Oilers, now Tennessee Titans. And I remember it's kind of cute. He wouldn't sign until after the NCAA track meet because he didn't want to damage his amateur status. You don't hear that too much today. No. <laughs> All you hear is the big money, unfortunately. really changed, John, is uh, salaries of coaches. This was just stark to me. Uh, the number of coaches in the United States were making between, let's say, two and $5 million a year. Uh, Johnny Majors signed at Iowa State in 1968, and I think his first-year contract was for $17,000. There were no shoe contracts either.
1: <laughs> yeah, that changed on, a little bit.
0: <laughs> just a, just a goes. Mike Strawn was another great running back. Yes. And and,
1: uh, and you had the defensive guys like Stensrud. And, uh,
0: Mike Stensrud and his brother Maynard. Yeah, Mike was a cut-up, and he played some pro football. He yeah. was a good player from Lake Mills, I think, up in That's Northern Ireland. Yeah. I said, boy, it's a long ways from here to Lake Mills. I mean, small town, and here you are, all conference and blah, blah, blah. He said, well, it's only about two hours, <laughs> <laughs> which was his typical dry humor.
1: Yes. <laughs> well, you had the Bosky brothers from Chicago, so that was a little different personality.
0: Just <laughs> what you think. That brings back that brings back great memories, both in football and basketball. Some of the recruits that were brought in. I'm going to share with you the funniest thing that happened to me while I was in my years at Iowa State. We were on the road in basketball, and I think we were staying in Oklahoma State, playing a night game at Oklahoma State. And I know I was riding in the back seat of a car with uh, Frank Randall was driving, who was then the the trainer. We had a couple of recruits from Florida. One of them was uh, named Julian Butler, and he was sitting in the front seat. He was a little point guard. So we pull up to a stoplight, and I hear you and I are probably the only two people listening who have been to Stillwater, Oklahoma. We pull up to a stoplight, and one of those Oklahoma Cadillacs pulls up beside us with the big gun rack on the back. And Julian takes one look at the gun rack, and he turns around, and he pushes down the door lock on his car. Which I thought was one of the funnier sight gags I'd ever seen in my lifetime. So it is. It was hilarious. Just little little remembrances.
1: Oh, those are great. That, that's a that's a great memory. I want to talk to you more about basketball in just a moment. I want to ask you one more football question, though, and that was the iowa State renewal of the series. What do you remember about right. that, leading up to that?
0: It was just a hot, hot topic. I remember going to Iowa City on the Monday before of uh, that week, and putting together a one-hour show. We really treated it like the second coming, on all honesty. Fans were excited. It was interesting. And, of course, there was worries that there might be bites or something like that. But everything, as far as I know, came off pretty smoothly. And nobody hated each other. And it wasn't uh, – it was the fans that was more at issue than it was with players. As you know, main players were out of state, and it wasn't that significant to them. But I do remember the Ballyhoo. Behind it, and then it became just a, a good game, a game of upsets, a series, and uh, still, still is. So that's that's terrific. The idea that memory of doing the football show, and it was like every, everybody was uh, on alert.
1: What's your version? of why they renewed the series and, and how how that kind of happened.
0: Yeah, I, I don't pretend to have the answer, but I do suspect there was some legislative pressure, particularly mm-hmm. from, from those who control the purse strings. I could be wrong, and I can't prove that, but that was always my guess. Plus, each school had an athletic director that was copacetic to discussing such stuff. and Up, to, up until that time, they had been really pretty hostile. Iowa it was perceived to be snobbish and didn't want to lower itself to play Iowa State, which, frankly, mm-hmm. up until about that time, hadn't really been competing at the level that Iowa had. Then that all changed, as we well know, since. That's that's my guess.
1: Well, you were also working during the time when Hilton Coliseum began, and that opened. And while well, you talk about a, a building that, in my opinion, has really stood the test of time, you see so many buildings that have gone up since then that have been demolished and replaced and Hilton has just continued to, to thrive. What do you remember about Hilton Coliseum being built and the, maybe the excitement surrounding that?
0: Well, the first thing I remember is Glenn Anderson was the coach and had a lot to do with the design of the basketball part of the arena. And I always felt bad that he got let go just before they opened the arena. And I also don't know why. He was a very good coach, maybe a better coach than recruiter. And he played a very slow, deliberate, walk-the-ball-up-the-floor type of game. And I think at the time, the athletic director figured that we're going to have a lot of empty seats if we can't have a little more exciting brand of basketball. So they brought in and John from Drake. He'd had a lot of success, and Maureen went out and found out it wasn't as easy as he thought, bringing in a bunch of jucos. and so on. But I do remember... Our number one concern was always gonna was being how are we gonna fill all those seats. The armory had been a crazy place to play basketball. It was like playing in a motel room. The fans are right on top of you, and it was loud and uh, small and not a fun place for teams to go and play. So I mean, what happened? You double the size of it, and it's still not a fun place for teams to go and play. But that didn't just come at day one. I think most of that came about when Johnny Orr came to town. That was his hiring and, and Earl Bruce and probably Johnny Majors were three of the great athletic hires. Those three, and then maybe Harold Nichols. Wrestling was really big in those days. And here at Little Iowa State, they bring in a guy with a PhD from Michigan, and they had a pretty tall, pretty tall clover. Nick ran a great program, was a great recruiter, and a good coach. He was wrestling day and night. He was all wrestling, and he was a good guy. I don't think he ever stiffed me on an interview or anything like that. And he developed some great, great, great wrestlers. Matter of fact, when they used to wrestle at the Armory and WOI was studios were across the street. I used to try to time it when Gable would be wrestling, and I'd be writing and editing for the ten o'clock sports, and and I'd walk across the street and watch Gable wrestle, and then come back and finish up my script because he was uh, I was never frankly a huge, huge wrestling fan, but he was special. Most focused athlete I think I've ever seen. And then Chris Taylor was a great wrestler but he was mostly just big. He is the biggest human being I've ever seen. And then you had Cale Sanderson since I left games, but who, as a matter of fact, lives from the state of Utah where I live now. So those mm-hmm. were some great folks at Iowa State and bring back a lot of great memories. I I have to remember when cyclone baseball was good. I remember going to the College World Series. That was big doings. The College World Series has always been a great, great event, and it was fun to be uh, to be a participant.
1: What other basketball memories do you have? There maybe weren't a ton of great teams, but you certainly saw some very good individual players.
0: Well, we did. And uh, both before and then right after I left, uh, I was still Ings, <laughs> Johnny Orr advertising that he had just recruited LeFester Rhodes, and uh, that brought down the house because he said that he'd won the state 440, and he was 6'8", or 6'9", or whatever. And he said, man, he said, that's better than the state record in Iowa, and he told a group of Cyclone Club fans, he said, of course, we don't have many black people in Iowa. (laughs) And that, I mean, nobody ever would say something like that, but Johnny was unimpaired. He just would just march forward His teams were fun, and I got to see him, but I wasn't broadcasting at that time. Don Smith was probably the best basketball player at Iowa State during the years that I was broadcasting. Mm -hmm. He uh, later became a Muslim and played in the NBA and was a really good guy, very quiet, New York City kid, and uh, I think basketball at Iowa State probably saved his life, in all honesty. And there were others that fit into that category, too, but... He became a really good, really, really good person.
1: What was kind of the highlight of that era in broadcasting? What what made it special for you during those years to to broadcast uh, on a nightly basis?
0: This is going to sound really funny, but we had a lot of technical innovation during that period of time. It's nothing like what's happened during the digitization, easy word for me to say, era that's followed it. But uh, I remember at first we I had called them slant, ta- slant track tape recorders. These were videotape recorders. Quality was not very good. This was, let's just say low definition would be a good term for it. We did that, and then when I first started WLI in television, we were using black-and-white negative film, processing it as negative, and then reversing polarity to get a positive picture. So you set up an all night editing video, which was actually just black and white film, looking at it through a little viewer, trying to make sure you didn't get the football numbers backwards so they look stupid. And then going from that to having our own color processing, and now everything is video, and uh, we, we, I was pre-video camera, let's put it that way. So those are the biggest changes were technological. I don't know that sportscasting per se has changed a lot since then. Probably people are better prepared. Sportscasting as a as a career has improved a great deal since since those those days. Those are those are things that stand out to me. Kind of.
1: Well, Frank, it seems uh, obvious from talking to you that your time at Iowa State was an important part of your life, and uh, you still have many many great memories of that time, and it still touches your heart to follow the cyclones from a from a distance away.
0: Well, it it does. Uh, my son went to. Uh, I graduated from Ames High School. I was in Alabama. My daughter was born at Mary Greeley Hospital in Ames. She left Ames when she was in second grade. She's just a huge sports fan. Gee, where where would she have gotten that? My son's a good, very good college sports fan, particularly in football. And now he's down there by Alabama, Auburn. I don't know what he's doing down there. Avoiding winters, I think. But our daughter... I mentioned, went to Kansas, and she got her MBA at Iowa State. And just as a little aside, she's working for Goldman Sachs in Warsaw, Poland. Hmm. And she still thrives on U.S. sports and college sports. And somehow she's rigged up through her computer and television uh, the ability to get games that I record. And she's able to watch, uh, if I record them, she watches Kansas games. She watches Utah, Iowa State, particularly Kansas, of course, when she's an alum. But uh, I think she's got the fever, unfortunately, and I don't think she'll ever lose it. We were married in Ames and still has some very, very close friends who still live in Ames, too. So it uh, brings back many, many memories, but good times there.
1: Well, I really appreciate you sharing some of those memories with us today. It was a lot of fun to visit with you, and... Uh... Thanks for all you continue to do for Iowa State, but please give Barb our best and uh, it was it was just really fun and I appreciate you taking the time to to share some of those great, great memories.
0: Well it's our pleasure and uh, excuse me for rambling, but uh, some of those things just trigger something else and I can't can't help myself.
1: I'm I'm the same way. So <laughs> right. Frank, thank you so much.
0: Okay, Jim, thank you.